0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Alison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. And this week's episode is actually episode six or part six of my Unfair Dismissal series. So for the last five weeks, I've been focusing on unfair dismissal and how to deal with disciplinary and dismissal issues in a fair manner and a way in which you can avoid having an employment tribunal claim against you. And today in this part six of the series, I'm just rounding things off with some questions that have been raised by some of the listeners. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into answering those questions. So the first question that I've received from a listener is actually one which I am asked quite a lot and which comes up quite a lot in quite a lot of scenarios. And that is, what if the employee doesn't attend the meeting, so the disciplinary meeting? So what if they refuse to turn up? Well, in those circumstances, if the employee fails to attend the disciplinary hearing that you've arranged, then you wouldn't be able to go ahead and make a decision at that initial meeting so if you invite them to a meeting and it's the first time and they don't attend and they don't tell you why, then it's not advisable to proceed with making a decision at that meeting. You should offer an, an opportunity to rearrange. So to contact the employee and find out why. Obviously, if it's because they're not available or because their companion's not available, then you need to make arrangements for another time. If it's just that they haven't turned up, they just don't want to go, then you need to have a look at what your own procedures say about their failure to attend. But then you need to rearrange and offer again. And I would say in order to ensure the employee has a fair opportunity to attend, you should invite them to a couple of hearings, at least two, where you know that they've had notice of the date of the hearing, and they've had notice of the consequences of not attending. And if on the third time they don't attend, I think you could justify making the decision in their absence. Now clearly, There are loads of circumstances to consider and no two cases are the same. But generally, if the employee doesn't attend, I would say by the time you get to the third opportunity and they're still refusing to engage with you, at that point you can make your decision. It's fairly rare where you get an employee who just won't turn up and doesn't engage with you as to the reason why um, and give you the opportunity to try and find some other solution. But in those rare circumstances, you know, you can't just keep dragging things out If they're not engaging, go ahead and make the decision. And that leads me into the second question, which is, what do I do if an employee is off sick? This is a common scenario in that when disciplinary procedures are begun, many employees will become unwell, either because of the stress of what's going on or the possible consequences, and you'll find that um, they may get themselves signed off from from work by their doctor. Now in those circumstances it's slightly different about whether they can attend or not and in the short term I would say that you should place the disciplinary hearing on hold um, until you understand more about their condition or their likely return to work. If the employee is off sick for a period of time and it's likely to be long term then I would suggest that you obtain a medical report either from the employee's GP or from your own occupational health doctor. And that would be focusing in on whether or not the employee is actually fit to attend a meeting. Because being unfit for work and being unfit to attend a meeting are two separate things. And therefore, it's important that you get medical advice on that point. It may be that the doctor is actually saying that the employee is unfit to return to work until the disciplinary issue is resolved. So it's actually the disciplinary process that's causing them stress and therefore it would be prudent to get the disciplinary matter resolved first and as soon as possible to enable them to return to work. And in those circumstances, the doctor is likely to say that they can actually attend. There are also considerations to be had around any adjustments. So if somebody is off sick and they're finding it very stressful and they're unable to attend at the office or to a meeting place, then you can make adjustments with their cooperation to either meet them in a neutral location or go to their home um, or and or allow them to be accompanied by a member of their family, for instance, somebody who they feel more comfortable with. The situation in relation to whether somebody, when someone is off sick and is unable to attend a disciplinary hearing, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to place things on hold indefinitely, but you should reconsider how you're dealing with that procedure and wherever possible, obtain medical advice as to how you should proceed. Clearly, it's not in anybody's benefit for the disciplinary hearing to be strung out for a long time. But equally, you do have a duty of care on your employees to ensure that you're not doing anything that could place them in harm. My next question is, can they bring someone else with them to the meeting? So those of you who listened to the previous episodes about how the disciplinary procedure works and the ACAS Code of Practice will know that employees have a legal right to be accompanied at a disciplinary meeting by a work colleague or a trade union rep or a trade union official. And that's what the law says about who they can be accompanied Your own procedures may have something else or it may follow that line. Um, And regardless of what your procedures say or what the law says, it is at your discretion to allow them to bring someone else with them to the meeting. My feeling on this point is, and what I advise my employer clients, is actually contrary to what I come up against in many scenarios where I'm advising employees, and my advice is that if an employee asked to be accompanied by someone other than a trade union rep or a work colleague is to say, well, ask them who it is, first of all, and why they want to be accompanied by them. And, and if it's not going to make any difference to the procedure or to you or there's no threat or there's no threat of confidentiality, all those sorts of things, I say, why not? Why not allow the employee to have someone accompany them that they of their choosing? Now, clearly, if there are sensitive commercial issues that you're going to be discussing, you want to be careful about who you have attend. But in those circumstances, I would say, if they're asking for, you know, a lawyer, for instance, or an advocate from another organisation, um, or a support worker, I would say, you know, those kinds of people are used to dealing with those situations. So you can can ask them to guarantee their confidentiality in return for allowing them to attend. But in most cases, the information that's going to be discussed at those disciplinary meetings is rarely going to be about commercially sensitive information. So I go back to what I was saying, why not allow them to be accompanied? It will help you in the long run to, in terms of the fairness of the process, the employee will undoubtedly, if they make a claim in the employment tribunal, bring up the fact that they asked to bring someone and were refused, even if by law they're not allowed. And it would just shows your... Cooperation and the fact that you've actually got nothing to hide by allowing them to be accompanied by somebody else. I actually tell my employer clients that if the employee is allowed to bring a legal representative, for instance, or, you know, a support worker if they're unwell, it actually will help with the process. It will help speed things up because they're professional people. They're, they're used to dealing with it and they will know and help sometimes in reining in their client when when they can go off track. I can see why some employers, and, and I find with some HR practitioners and HR managers, that they are uncomfortable about having a solicitor or a legal representative or someone else at the meeting. But again, I just think if you've got nothing to worry about, if you've done your investigations correctly, if you're confident in the, your procedures the purpose of the disciplinary hearing is that to allow the employee to have their say it's not about catching somebody out so yeah why not let them have somebody else so in answer to that question yes it's at your discretion to allow them to bring someone else with them to the meeting next question is if you have a small organization and there is only really one person who can handle the process how do you deal with it what this question is regarding is the fact that the AKS code and guidance suggests that it should be there should be a division in the processes. So that is to say there should be a division between the person who does the investigation and the person who makes the disciplinary decision. Now, employment tribunals recognise that in small organisations this might not always be possible to do so. And in fact, in the AKS guidance that accompanies the AKS code, it does say that you can bring in somebody external to deal with it if necessary. And certainly some of my clients have done that. They've brought me in as an external person to either handle the investigation side or the actual hearing so that there's a division of processes. But not all businesses can afford to do that and or they might not have anyone appropriate who they can um, call upon to ask. So in those circumstances, if it really is just one person who is the uh, investigator and the disciplinary Then I would say my best tip in those circumstances is to ensure that you write down and have a note of your decision making process and make it clear to the employee involved that you are having a division of tasks, if you like. So you're, um, on the one hand, you may very well be an investigator, but you're going to investigate it and compile your evidence and put it all together. And then on the next hand, you're going to analyse the evidence that you've compiled and listen to what the employee has to say at the disciplinary hearing and then make your decision based on all of that. If you are the only person and you do find yourself with an employment tribunal claim against you, if you can justify your decision making as to why you're the only person and why you didn't feel it appropriate to bring anyone else in to do it for you, and then you can produce evidence of how you've dealt with it and you can explain that in a fair way, then it's unlikely to go against you in terms of the process and the fairness of your decision. Ultimately, you have to be able to justify the decision that you've made. If you decide to dismiss an employee following something like an allegation of misconduct, you have to be able to justify your decision for that and that it was a reasonable one to make based on the information that you had obtained. And my fifth and final question is one about fixed-term contracts. And the question is, do you have to follow a procedure when you're dismissing somebody at the end of a fixed-term contract and would it be considered to be unfair dismissal to dismiss somebody at the end of a fixed-term contract? The ACAS Code of Practice specifically doesn't apply to to the termination of a fixed-term contract. So that's a a fixed-term contract is one of a specific duration or for a specific task, for instance. Now, although the expiry of a fixed-term contract can be a potentially fair reason for dismissal under the, some other substantial reason, you should have a look and see which of the five potentially fair reasons it fits under, because it could actually be redundancy rather than some other substantial reason, and therefore you'd have to look at the definition of redundancy to see if that applied. Let's take, for example, you've got somebody who works for you who is employed on a three-year fixed-term contract because you have some additional work. So you've, you've won an additional contract to supply somebody with, um, goods and you need additional staff for that contract. So you take on an employee for a three-year fixed-term contract because you don't know after the term if, whether or not you'll be able to continue to sustain their employment. Now, if you want to terminate that employment, At the three year point, they will of course qualify, they'll have the continuous service to qualify for rights in relation to unfair dismissal. So, you then need to look at whether you have one of the five potentially fair reasons for dismissing that employee. It's not always the case that it would just be fair to dismiss them because it's the end of a fixed term contract. You need to look at actually what is the reason for the end of the contract and for the failure to renew that contract. And it could very well be that it's a redundancy situation which would then trigger the requirement in terms of consultation and redundancy pay. I do know of some employers who use fixed-term contracts as a way to monitor a performance and to try to get round the obligations in terms of unfair dismissal. They will say to an employee if they're not doing very well or you know, they just want to get rid of them, their face doesn't fit, that they're terminating their employment because it's the end of the fixed term contract. Now, that won't necessarily be a fair dismissal. And if the real reason is to do with their capability or their conduct, for instance, and you haven't gone through the necessary processes, then they could have a finding of unfair dismissal. So contrary to popular belief by some people, you can't just dismiss an employee who's been employed for more than two years, without having go going through a due process and having a potentially fair reason for dismissing them. One example of where it will be fair to dismiss them and it will be some other substantial reason for their dismissal is where you have an employee who you take on, for instance, to cover maternity leave. If at the end of the maternity leave the original employee decides to return to work and there's no longer work available for the employee you've taken on on a fixed term contract then it would be fair to terminate their employment at that time because if you didn't you wouldn't be able to allow the employee on maternity leave to return to work so in answer to that question i would say yes you should follow some form of procedure in terms of the expiry of a fixed term contract you should initially ascertain exactly what the reason is for not renewing that contract or for terminating the contract at the end of the fixed term period and then apply the procedure that is relevant to that reason, so the real reason why it's ending. Now fixed term contracts are um, an interesting area and I will be focusing on those in the future. I'll do a future series giving a few episodes that's focusing on fixed term contracts for those who are interested So there we have five questions about dealing with disciplinary and dismissal issues and they are five questions actually that I tend to be asked fairly regularly by clients as well so they are some frequently asked questions. Um, So thank you very much to the people who have written in with their questions. I do appreciate your participation. So that draws to a close the mini-series on disciplinaries and unfair dismissals. I will be publishing my top 10 tips for ensuring a fair disciplinary process with regards to conduct issues and that will be available to anyone who has subscribed to my newsletter. So if you're not on the newsletter, you can do so. You can subscribe on my website which is viceforemployers.co.uk. Of course, as I said throughout this, If you have a scenario in relation to disciplinary or unfair dismissal issues and you're not sure what to do, you should ensure that you get advice at the earliest possible stage so that you can avoid having to face an employment tribunal. I'm happy to help out with anything or answer any questions and if you want to reach me you can contact me by email alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk This episode of the Employment Law and HR podcast is brought to you by the HR Harbour. The HR Harbour is a cloud-based personnel records system. Within HR Harbour, you'll have access to various resources as well as advice and assistance, and you'll also have the added bonus of being able to store your employee records in a safe and secure cloud-based portal which can be accessed anywhere that you have access to the internet. So if you're interested in a no obligation trial of the HR harbour, then do drop me a line, allison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk, and let me show you how great HR harbour is for your personnel and HR processes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.